My name is Shaylee Desai. It is Thursday the 26th of November 2020 and the time is 6.51pm. I am joined here today by my mum. Mum, do you want to tell everyone your name? Hi, my name is Lata Desai. Great. And how about we start by you telling us when and where were you born? I was born in um, uh, Kenya, East Africa in uh, 1960. Great. And uh, how long did you live there for? I lived in Kenya from 1960 till 1972. So I was about 12 years old when I left um, Kenya and my parents uh, went back to India. Okay, so what are your memories of Kenya? Life in Kenya was uh, a very happy um, one. Uh, 1960s, uh, it, the whole period of the 60s was uh, one of the best times, I would say, for all of us. Uh, personally, because I was uh, brought up in a very close-knit family where I was one of six sisters, so a lot of my um, sisters are, uh, we are hardly one or two years age uh, difference between us, so... And we all grew up together. But not only that, um, uh, both uh, economically as well as politically, the early 60s was um, a good time for all Asians in Kenya because um, uh, Kenya had just uh, um, uh, been independent uh, in the 1960s. And obviously before that, there was a lot of um, unrest and everything, but uh, we were closeted in such a nice way that uh, our parents never um, let us uh, feel the tension which was outside um, of our um, uh, uh, our house. So um, in, in that way, I would say it was a very, very happy childhood. And I've got some lovely memories of uh, so many things in Kenya, even though I only lived there for 12 years, but uh, some of the things are etched in my memory even today and if I had but to go back to Kenya I am 100% sure I would uh, remember all the roads the the shops uh, the schools and uh, so many other things if you had to tell us about one of those most vivid memories what do you think that would would be See, my parents were um, a, a very um, social, uh, 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 engaged in, in the community. So culturally, they were very proactive in all sorts of cultural activities. And they used to belong to this um, Indian organization where um, even though we were living in Africa, it, did, it never um, occurred to us that uh, we were away from India. So they had very strong ties with India and all the cultural activities uh, used to be celebrated in one of the best ways, I would say, Diwali, Navratri, any other religious um, uh, uh, events, um, music, dance, uh, you name it. And my parents were always there um, uh, participating. And they we used to be part of that uh, whole network of the Indians in um, uh, Kenya. So, and... The, the most memorable uh, to, to me was when um, uh, they used to have these annual dance competitions where it used to be a competition between the Asians in Kenya, 
the Tanzania and Uganda. So all these three nations, uh, Asians would come together. And because Nairobi was the capital of um, Kenya, uh, we used to host these competitions. And it was uh, one of the, the most uh, uh, beautiful experience because... Um, we were not only able to take part in it, but we were also able to see so many other groups coming from different countries. And um, I would say that was one of the best um, memories I have about uh, Kenya. My school life in Kenya also was very interesting because uh, even though we used to live in, in um, uh, Africa, my parents always uh, used to feel that we should... Uh, uh, remain engaged with India and they there was uh, when the Asians settled in Kenya they built lots of schools um, and these schools all used to offer um, uh, mother tongue languages Gujarati was quite a, 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 a so my school was called Visa Oshwal primary school so Oshwals are this uh, Jain community who came from um, uh, Gujarat to um, uh, Africa and in that school we used to be taught um, everything about India even languages I learned all my alphabets Gujarati alphabets in the school and also religion about re Gujarati religion as well all our cultural things as well. So I think the school was very, very good experience for us. And majority of the students were all Indians at that time. So I have got lots of friends as well. And we had such fun, good times up there. It sounds like you had quite a uh, quote-unquote Indian upbringing, despite uh, living in East Africa. How do you think that played with your sort of sense of identity? Do you feel like you would have counted yourself as in a young Indian girl or do you think you would have like the African side of it did that ever come into play absolutely I, I think uh, I have always been brought up as an Indian my mom used to be a housewife she had she was bringing up six daughters so there was no question and she herself was very traditional so the whole upbringing was very Indian and um, I would not say um, I had ever thought that I was an African um, did you used to speak Swahili? Yes, we were taught Swahili at school, obviously, and we used to have lots of maids and servants in the house as well with whom we used to speak in Swahili. So um, I remember quite a bit of Swahili even now. Do you think you could hold a conversation in Swahili? Not really, but I have uh, my language uh, has been uh, influenced so much by the African uh, by Swahili that uh, when I speak Gujarati, it is a mixture of um, Gujarati and Swahili words. It's almost like its own language in a way. Yes, you'd yes, say. definitely. Um, so you said you grew up with five sisters uh, in the sixties and seventies in a very Indian uh, Africa. H how was that coming from a family with all girls? See, even though um, my um, parents had six daughters, uh, they were very modern in, in some ways and they never made us feel that we were um, uh, all girls. And um, in fact, my dad used to treat us, particularly me, as the tomboyish uh, uh, um, and we were never deprived of anything. Anything a boy would do, we were um, uh, allowed to do so uh, that way I think it was not at all a problem for us and how was it between the sisters like I assume you must have had a lot of fun 
Yes, I, as I said, you know, uh, my uh, I'm the fourth of the six six sisters. So my three uh, older sisters are there's an age gap of between uh, four to eight years, but my three younger sisters there's hardly a difference between um, between us about one or one and a half year. So we were like more like friends and we grew up together. You know, we used to play together. We used to go to school together. We used to wear each other's clothes. Um, uh, so. Uh, uh, it was always uh, sharing with uh, with the sisters so that that was quite the, the the best thing and even to this day we are a very close knit family yeah you can see that when you interact with them even now even with your sisters who live abroad when you're together you can see that chemistry and that they see you as your older sister which is great uh, so how how did um how, what was it like for the family when you moved to india you were 12 and i assume your sisters were you know teenagers and or young teens uh, young um what happened what happened when you moved to india how was it see the excitement of um, going to india from africa was one of the most uh, it's surreal you know you you we had this um uh, uh, trip on the in the on the indian ocean for a whole month in those days on a boat on, in a ship in they, a ship, they used yeah. to have ship obviously when the gujaratis went to africa they went in boats but uh, when we in the 60s obviously things had changed a bit but um, the journey from mombasa to um uh, india to bombay used to be exactly one one whole month and you can just imagine the um, uh, the kind of things uh, we experienced in the in the ships. Um, I distinctly remember one occasion when uh, this woman she died on the on the ship on our way from uh, Mombasa to Bombay. And in those days, uh, because the journey was a whole month long, they used to bury dead people in the in the sea. And I vividly remember this woman being thrown kind of when I say thrown it, it it was a funeral ceremony but they opened the door the kind of um, thing in the in the ship and this woman uh, fell in the in the sea they buried her in sea and that has been etched in my memory for so long and I've always wondered how this journey between Africa to India or from India to Africa how uh, how fascinating it must have been and um Obviously, the excitement when you reach the shores of India, you see these Indian seagulls um, uh, crying out and then everybody in the ship is saying, oh, we have reached Desh. Desh was the word they used to say. And I didn't know what that word Desh means, but uh, all the family, because in the ship we used to have little bunkers. So we would be in the bottom floor and then there would be the second floor and the, the top floor. And from the bunkers, everybody would start uh, jumping up on the um, deck of the ship when they started seeing the shows of Bombay. And there was so much excitement. Everybody used to hug each other and, oh, we've reached Daesh now. You know, success uh, 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 without any hiccup because that journey was quite... Um, uh, and on the way, we used to... Our ship used to stop over at Seychelles. Now, Seychelles is a lovely island. And um, I would love to go back to Seychelles because they used to... The ship would uh, dock there for um, half a day or something. And then we used to go out and then my mom used to buy us all sorts of kinds of toys and um, spices and things like that from Seychelles. So that was, again, a lot of excitement. And I remember the last uh, time we went to 
India when we emigrated in 72. Uh, it was an Italian uh, ship. So that was quite a sophisticated ship. So it, that ship had a swimming pool in it as well. So it was like going on a cruise, but uh, uh, in a kind of Indian way, if you know what I mean. Mm. And uh, we had so much fun in the in the ship as well. And you make so many friends as well because it's a whole month you are with people. It sounds like a very fun experience, mm. especially for a 12-year-old girl and her sisters. But I can imagine for your parents, the stress of having to move a whole family and their entire lives to another country must have been quite stressful if you think about it now. Did they ever like show you that stress or that? Not at all. You see, my my dad was the only son of his his mom. So my granny was getting very old. So he had to go back home. Whereas a lot of his friends in Africa, they all came to Britain. Whereas my family was perhaps the only family which uh, who decided to go back to India. And my dad had to look after his land because his mom was getting very old. And he also felt that because he had six daughters, uh, perhaps he might find suitable boys for them in India better than going to um, uh, UK. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the main reason why he, he decided to go to India. And what about your mom? My mom was very um, excited to go back home because uh, she obviously, she herself comes from a family of about 11 brothers and sisters and she had she was she was the eldest in her family and she had a lot of responsibility of her brothers and sisters so she loved the idea of going back to um india because at the end of the day it's her where she was born great and what was it like going that now to an indian school i know you said you had a very indian upbringing in africa but then actually being in india what were, the, were there differences? The, the only difference in uh, in the school in India was that uh, um, I bless my parents for uh, doing this for us because in India, where in this little town called Navsari, where we were, uh, um, uh, most of the schools were um, in a Gujarati medium where they used to teach. The whole schooling was in Gujarati. But my parents made a point of sending us to an English medium school in a convent school, which was run by some Spanish nurses of, for, of all people. You know, in this little town in Osari, the convent school was run by this mother from um, uh, uh, Spain. So the, the reason why my dad wanted us to um, study in this convent school was because he felt that uh, giving the girls an education in English would give them, set them uh, in life. And also we had uh, studied in English medium schools in, in Africa. So um, it, it was just uh, uh, easy for us to go to um, this convent school. And what was life like for you there in terms of hobbies and your interests? I think it was more or less the same because we just, uh, the minute we landed there, we were so uh, uh, engrossed in the whole cultural, social setup of um, India. I mean, India just sucks you into its old uh, fabric, doesn't it, when... Uh, you you be used to get uh, involved in all kinds of cultural things, um, music, dance, arts, uh, very much uh, always proactive. Our school also was very um, encouraging us all the time to participate in all kinds of things. So um, uh, I suppose all these things uh, came together in India and uh, uh, I have had a uh, lot of um, uh, good uh, memories of uh, my school days in India as well. 
Uh, are you so in touch with any of your schoolmates? All the time. We have got uh, now with social media, We ha I have connected with so many of them. Just yesterday I was talking to somebody who is in Canada and we must have spoken with each other after almost 40 years. So, um, But uh, because Nosari was such a small town, we were very close, even in school as well. Everybody knew each other and uh, there was some kind of... Um, emotional uh, connection uh, which all of us had and um, we have all scattered all over the world now but uh, we still keep in touch and if you had to say any negatives about your childhood anything about india and growing up there were there any i don't think so no i have always uh, felt that i have been very blessed uh, with a very good family who has always supported me encouraged me um, I would have uh, said it if there was any negative, I would say um, there was a time in my life where I wanted to go into medical school and I think I was quite capable of it and getting the grades and everything and obviously to go into medical school you have to go to another uh, big city like Bombay or Baroda or somewhere like that and my dad was a little bit reluctant about sending me to to Bombay so I suppose that was the only little disappointment I had but looking back I am glad I never did medicine because I don't think I would have uh, liked that life of a doctor. Well you, you say that but you actually have a very successful career in the science field anyway uh, we'll get on to that in a bit uh, but if we go back to sort of your education um, so you finished school uh, did you do the equivalent of A-levels or...? Yeah, you, you so in, 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 in India it used to be 10th standard and um, 12th standard. So 10th standard is GCSE and uh, 12th is A-levels. So uh, we, we, we did GCSE and A-level equivalent of um, exams and then you go to university, which is a um, three-year, four-year course. So... The town where I used to live um, was very famous for its um, science college, uh, uh, which was specialist in microbiology. And I decided to um, go uh, do microbiology as my as an undergraduate. So, and I came out with flying colors, first class. Uh, in fact, throughout my career, I've always uh, been an A star student. Great. So you finished school, you had quite a good, successful time there. Seems quite fun as well. And then you went on to university. That was in India as well? Mm -hmm. Whereabouts in India? Same, same, same in town. In the same town. Mm -hmm. um, what about your other sisters at this time? What, what did they study? They were all, uh, 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 two of uh, us went to do microbiology and uh, one became a lawyer. One, one became, she studied, uh, did a master's in um, English literature. And uh, my older sister, she didn't go to university. She she uh, only did up to A-levels. And the youngest one, uh, she did commerce, uh, which we, we used to call Bachelor of Commerce. So everybody has... Uh, uh, been um, uh, graduates in in our family. Yeah, you seem like a very well educated mm. um, family. So you finished your degree, and then what was next? So it's a funny story because <laughs> even though I did um, uh, microbiology and I was an A star student, 
at that time when I graduated, I wanted to um, go into civil services, uh, which is called the Indian Administrative Services, IAS. Um, it's got kind of a very prestigious uh, exam, which um, uh, very few people get through. But uh, I decided that let me try and sit this IAS exam and I passed my preliminary exam as well. My older sister was wanting to look for a job in a bank. So she went to give, uh, she got uh, called in for an interview in, in Baroda for a bank job. And she was a little bit nervous. So she said to me, why don't you come with me as well? So I went along with her. And when we reached there, the guy who was interviewing her also met me and he said, "Do you? would you like to do an interview with us as well? So I said, well, why, why not? So I gave the interview and turned out that I got the job and my sister didn't get the job. And they offered me a job in a bank. Now in India in those days, to get a job in a bank, Bank of Baroda, it's kind of supposed to be something really high and they put they put they gave me offer this job in a very prestigious branch of Bank of Baroda and I was torn between the two didn't understand what to do my parents were kind of secretly hoping that I take the bank job because then that would be I would be a very eligible um, uh, uh, a bride for any boy and uh, uh, I was really torn between science and uh, but then I thought okay let me try and and maybe that might be a route to go, go, go get into the Indian civil services uh, which I wanted to do so I um, worked in a bank for about two years and uh, that was also a good experience um, I, I don't regret it at all because I learned a lot about banking and finance and all that okay and then so what happened then? Because I know you, you definitely don't work in banking now. So what, no. what changed? So so then uh, I um, uh, uh, um, met my husband, Raju. So we got married in um, 1983. Okay, let, let's go back a sec. H how did you meet him? Obviously, it was an arranged marriage, kind of an introduced marriage. I wouldn't say an arranged marriage. Our parents knew each other. And so um, they... they said that let's uh, introduce these two uh, and uh, we we met in Bombay and um, then uh, we decided uh, uh, I liked him and he liked me and then uh, we got engaged and then um, because I had a British passport uh, I went uh, I was able to come to England uh, as an unmarried uh, girl and then uh, my uncle who used to live in Milton Keynes here in Britain uh, married us off uh, and um, uh, it was a very simple civil. So wh where did you meet dad then? Was it firstly in India or did yes, you go yes. to England to meet so him? He came to India to, he was, uh, obviously the parents were talking to each other and then um, his dad said, okay, let's uh, uh, come to India and meet your daughter and then see if they click, if they, they, they like each other, then uh, it would be fine. And what was so, he like when you met him? Do you remember? Yeah, he was uh, he was quite a sensible young guy. He was an um, engineer, um, well-educated, came from a good background. His parents were quite highly educated. Uh, and um, all the uh, ticks were, um, you know, we could... Um, we couldn't find any fault in, in, in his uh, background. So I thought maybe that uh, that is destiny. So I decided to marry him. 
And then what happened? Was it after that first meeting? That was it? Yeah, but uh, we we were not. Uh, we just didn't get married straight away. Uh, we were um, engaged for a good uh, almost uh, nine months, eight or nine months, and then, as I said, because I had a British passport, we Raju was very keen that we don't get married straight away. Let's get to know each other. So after nine months, um, I came to Britain, and then we we got married here in Britain. And. Uh... It's correct that you, you lived in East London, right? Yes. Where, that's where I was born and, and Rahul, mm. my brother. Um, what was that like? So you've moved from Kenya to India and now to East London. <laughs> what was that? How was the difference? What was it like? Obviously, life in Britain is very different to... Um, and obviously, you you come to a completely different family who is so different from your parents' family. So... With with any young bride, it's always a difficult one. But I must say that um, uh, my in-laws were very um, uh, modern, uh, modern family. So they were um, very encouraging. And I came to Britain with my job, uh, funnily enough. I was transferred by uh, Bank of Baroda to, to here in Britain. I got a posting in Wembley. So straight away, there was no problem for me to find a job or look for a job or anything. The job was there already, but obviously the posting was in Wembley. So I had to travel a lot uh, from um, East London all the way to Wembley. And it was quite kind of an arduous um, journey. So and deep down in my heart, I had always wanted to continue with science. You know, it's just, and I suppose that long journey was a good excuse for me to put the finance um, uh, thing on, on on the side. And even when I was in India, I used to religiously uh, follow BBC World Service and I used to do a lot of online courses as well. So I decided that I wanted to study here again. So I joined the University of East London Uh which used to be called North East London Polytechnic in those days, but now it's called University of East London. And I decided to do my degree all over again in biological sciences. So I did my degree in immunology. And uh, uh, then uh, obviously I had my children. Um, and whilst the children were young, I studied, I did my master's again in immunology. And then I started working. So if we go back a sec... Uh, you've moved to East London, uh, you've got married and you've decided to do your master's and embark on this science field that you've um, envisaged your life to you know, go down that route. Um, did you feel any sort of the, the difference in learning in India, for example, and then coming to uh, a British university? Were there other Indians lot like of, you? A lot of difference. There was, see, the whole education system in India, in some ways, it's very good. In other ways, uh, obviously, British education system is very good. Whereas um, the, the main difference I found is uh, as a science um, a graduate, um, doing the practicals was very different from, obviously, here there is a lot of facilities for practical um, science uh, experiments and things like that. So that was a huge learning curve for me where I, back home, I was in a small town. We hardly have 
very sophisticated laboratories or whatever. So coming to Britain, uh, that opened up a new world for me completely. The technology. Absolutely. And um, obviously my English improved as well because you're constantly talking in English with everybody. And um, uh, I was very driven, I must say. I was extremely driven. I would... Um, uh, work day and night and read all kinds of uh, books research papers follow all the scientific uh, magazines and you know keep up to date with um, whatever qualification I could get in this country and I I, try, I I got quite a lot of qualifications even though I I repeated my degree all over again I did three years in India and I did three years here but the best thing about Britain is that I was able to work whilst I was studying as well. So I started, uh, I found a nice job in a lab. So I started working there and they gave me day release. In those days, they used to call it day release. So one day a week, I used to go to university. So I went to University of um, Brunel University in West London. That I could manage traveling. It was not a problem for me. But uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think in, in my heart, I always wanted to do science. So, so maybe uh, uh, that's why I put up with it. Yeah. yeah, it seems like you had a very jam-packed itinerary mm. um, being in your early 20s. And so that would have been in the 70s? Yes, 80s. 80s. In, in India, in, in England. I 80s came in, in 83. England. You yeah. came in 83. Mm-hmm. And on a sort of a social level, mm. like your upbringing, it seems very, um, very fun. You had a lot of, um, you know, cultural activities and you were always busy doing social events. What was it like when you came to England? Did you know any anyone else apart from, of course, your... your, your um, your husband and husband's family did you know anybody else I didn't know but I am a very social person anyway so I made friends straight away there was no uh, problem in uh, making friends and obviously when you have little children you always mix with other parents as well so then your network increases and um, obviously in East London uh, there is a huge uh, Indian uh, community uh, there so um, there were so many opportunities to um, uh, do and then the the best thing I did was uh, I started uh, um, going to the Bhavan Center in uh, West London whilst uh, I was studying. You know I would go and visit and go to concerts and uh, uh, dance performances and music performances all the time. So that kept kept me engaged with all the cultural activities in in Britain and you make friends through that. Yeah, for sure, and I'm sure that the other Indian friends you had made also had a similar path right from east africa to india or to britain or elsewhere um but when we talk about london and england in those times especially from a political point of view uh, race relations is a, is a big topic uh is that something that you felt did you ever feel like the brunt of racism to be honest, when I came in the 80s, I escaped a lot of racism, I must admit. But I know my um, Raju's uh, family, my in-laws, and they they were the, the, the they came to Britain during the exodus uh, when Idi Amin expelled. So they are the Ugandan Asians. So we, I have heard a lot of stories from them about how uh, difficult it was. Uh, they all used to leave a family of seven, eight in one room. They never had a bathroom. They used to go to the public baths to have shower. Um, very, um, uh, my mother-in-law used to work in a, as a machinist in a factory, which the conditions were really bad. 
there was um, a bullying. Uh, Sanjay uh, Raju's young brother was also beaten up by racists in um, in East London. But when I came on the scene in '83, the family had settled very well. They had a house. They, my father-in-law had bought a house. The children had studied. So I must say I came into a very cushy place where I didn't have to struggle as much as they had to struggle. And do you feel that it was because of their them being able to set up this sort of that foundation that it was like a setup that you could just walk into? Absolutely. Do you think that it was anything to do with the fact that by the 80s, Indians had already been kind of established? So to put it bluntly, the white man would have been would have been used to seeing a brown face. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and even in 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 uh, uh, a college or um, at work as well, there were so many Asians there. You know, Asians had started uh, making their mark in Britain. Uh, you know, seventies was a difficult period for uh, the uh, the Asians, but I would say eighties they all settled in. You know, obviously you hear about racism and. Um, uh, all sorts of uh, other problems but uh, uh, personally for myself I have never experienced that yeah um let's take it back to something which I, I I quite like looking at the photos and that's your wedding day because when we think about an Indian wedding we think of you know the big fat Indian wedding the um you know the, all the jewelry and the, the costumes and the you know just the extravagance of it all but I know from photos um, we don't actually have one here, but maybe we can get it in a sec. I know from photos that you had a, a very different type of Indian wedding. So do you want to explain that? So as I said to you, um, uh, you know, I had a, a British passport. So my family, I got engaged in India, but I came to uh, to Britain um, uh, as an unmarried uh, uh, girl. And uh, because the, my whole family couldn't come to Britain, my uncle uh, decided to marry me off. So he he um, uh, uh, he used to live in Milton Keynes. So and uh, we just did a little young registry, a very simple registry uh, wedding. And obviously, my in-laws too were not into big weddings. Um, they they were very practical sort of people, and that sort of. Uh, gave us a good head start uh, into the property you know we saved a lot of money and we were able to buy a house straight away as soon as we got married so it seems quite sensible from the financial aspect yes. of it yes absolutely do you did you feel the money struggles at that time not really no no as I said you know I came into a family which had settled and I also had a job as soon as I came to Britain I came with a job to Britain so for me it was not a, at all a struggle to find a, a job because yes. Bank of Baroda just transferred me straight away here so it was not a problem. So it was almost like you settled into England and England like adopted you as one of their own in a way. Mm. Uh, something that is quite interesting about your family so it's you and then you have five sisters now your maiden name is Meta, Meta, Meta. Mm. So you were Lata Meta, mm -hmm. and then you got married, and you married uh, Dad, so Raju Desai. And mm. um, what's funny is that all your sisters also married different Desais from around the world, isn't that correct? That's right. So yeah. tell us, tell us about, about that a bit more. Where so, do, where did they end up after India? So all of my sisters, we all. Uh, uh, my my dad was very traditional, and I would say protective of his daughters, uh, uh, very much fiercely protective. 
and he had this thing in his mind that he has it doesn't matter if he has six daughters but he has to marry all his daughters in the upper caste i mean you know the whole setup of this caste system and he was wanted to make sure that all his daughters married at this side only the sai brahmins the sai brahmins yeah. and um, and he was lucky because he managed to find the right uh, boys for all his daughters and all my sisters are this size now so which means for me and rahul all our cousins on our mum side are the size that's right <laughs> which is and yeah. not and on the our dad size as well well yeah but they're last what our cousins last names on our dad side mm. aren't the size are they because it's you know his sisters yes, have, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, it's funny how that works mm. um did you miss your sisters when you came to east london yes of course of course when you come to a new country to a new family you always miss your fam your family and your sisters and um uh i used to in those days we didn't have phone like what you have today whatsapp and uh, you know we used to write air letters and my air letter would reach them after 20 days they were those blue letters blue weren't letters, they yeah. yeah blue envelopes so i uh, i remember i used to go to work and i would, after 6 7 days of posting my letter i would rush back home to look for a letter uh, um in the letter box uh, from india and uh, my dad used to uh, write very well and he used to send nice letters to us so uh, yeah so that's again a, another memory for me a way of keeping in touch mm, mm. and from the letters how do you think the rest of your family were doing so your other sisters and your parents everybody was doing fine uh, obviously my sisters one by one they got married i went back to india a couple of times to attend their weddings as well and um uh, uh yeah so uh, you know the with obviously with the children as well after i had rahul and you, you, you we used to go to india once every 2 3 years so to, to my also feeling was that i should uh, expose my children to india as well even though you know the roots are all there we have ties with our motherland so uh, and i'm glad i was able to do all that because sometimes financially you may not be able to do that but i was able to do all those things as well yeah again very lucky in that aspect mm-hmm. um so let's talk about so you had rahul in 1988 mm-hmm. that correct mm-hmm. and how old were you then uh 28 28 and then 6 years later you had me in 94 mm-hmm. and then i have no memories of east london because when when i was 2 we then moved to croydon mm-hmm. in 96 mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. so all my memories are in croydon but tell us about that transition so you've moved from kenya to india to east london and now south london mm-hmm. where we where we're recording in the house that um mm-hmm. you moved to so mm-hmm. we've been here for you know 26 years mm-hmm. what was that like how is the difference well again um uh, because of dad's uh, uh, work we we moved to south london and uh, the company he used to work for he had a very good job they gave a good relocation package so we we decided that um, surrey is a nice leafy um uh, place to live in to bring children up and uh, schools are much much better here than what they used to be in east london so we took the plunge and um, i managed to find jobs in um, uh, local hospitals um, straight away so that was not a problem 
and uh, I finished all my studies as well uh, whilst Rahul was little and then I had you in 94. Was that the reason for the age gap between us? So like um, studies? Yes and yes and no. I, w- I would say yes. Uh, yes, I would say uh, I was trying to um, keep my professional career going as well and it was easy to manage one child um, initially and then when that child started going to school it was time for the second one so I think it just worked out that way. The natural progression Mm -hmm. of things Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and so yes you moved to Croydon you started working in a hospital what hospital was that? So I have um, uh, I started working in uh, Royal Marsden um, NHS Trust, uh, which is a cancer hospital in uh, Sutton, not very far from here. And I've been there for the last uh, 26, 27 years now. You still work there even yes. now, right? Yes. Yeah. In um, microbiology? No, no, no. My, I, uh, I did my master's in immunology mm. and obviously I moved into a area of... Um, um, hematology and my specialist uh, I, I studied further and my specialism now is blood transfusion and a hematology and blood transfusion obviously you've been in you've been doing it for a long long time now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is it something that still excites you I think so now I've reached 60 so I'm learning new things and uh, Marston is a lovely place to work in one of the world's best cancer hospitals and I am in a senior position now so um, I have uh, I manage a lot of people um, I get lots of opportunities for uh, personal personal development um, things and um, uh, yes I love I love my job which but I know you so you work full-time but you also do a lot of other things and this is quite exciting what we're about to get on to um, well, from what you said before, is that when you first moved to London, you joined the Bhavan Centre, which is a centre for Indian art and culture. Um, you could kind of, you know, relive all those experiences as a child. Um, but then you also picked up um, an instrument, right? So tell us more about that. So I have always been interested in the arts and um, something you asked me earlier that uh, do you have any disappointment or regret and I had always this regret that I never learned to play a musical instrument and um, it turned out that uh, when you were young and uh, you started showing interest in dance uh, the best place to take you was Bhavan and um, I realized that whilst I'm taking you to Bhavan every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I might as well make myself useful. So Bhavan is a lovely place where you can you can learn anything up there about India, Indian culture. And I decided to join the sitar class and I learned to play the sitar at the age of, I think, about 40. So very late in my life, but um, it was something I really enjoyed. And I really got into it uh, to the extent that I started managing a sitar group. And um, we have done all kinds of um, lovely things with our uh, music um, group. What's sort of the highlight of that time being the, you know, the manager of the sitar group? Well, you see, we performed in uh, one of some of the most prestigious um, uh, places. Uh, biggest one is uh, the South Bank 
and we are, I've performed, I've had the opportunity to perform at the South Bank, uh, so many museums we've performed, um, so many lovely theatres we have performed and we've done so many collaborations with all kinds of musicians, not just Indian musicians but um, um, African musicians like for example uh, with the Kora artist uh, Tunde Jagade. And we did a, a. Why don't you explain what a, what a kora is? Kora is like a it's a, a um, string instrument uh, which originates from West Africa, and very much similar to sitar. And we did a lovely project uh, trying to look at the, comparing the two um, styles, Indian music and West African music, and how this um, these two string instruments, sitar, is made from a pumpkin, kora is also made from a pumpkin, and we were looking at uh, the similarities and uh, and also. The sitar music is um, passed from one generation to the other. Kora music is also a, an oral tradition of music. So there were so much similarities between the two. Um, and uh, we we worked with this uh, Tunde Jagade and his team, Maya Jobarte. And uh, we performed at um, South Bank. And with him, we also then went on to uh, whether, uh, lots of other um, theatres, uh, uh, Croydon Museum, uh, Clock Tower, we went to Braithwaite Hall, we also went to Chelmsford um, um, Theatre and uh, lots of other places. So, so, And then we've also done some collaboration with Western musicians like cello artists and um, uh, lute uh, artists and all kinds of um, uh, vocalists as well. So that was an interesting part of, uh, apart from my scientific uh, profession, I had this nice little hobby. And music has always been just a hobby. It, it was nothing serious. I never wanted to be a musician. But it was lovely to learn music whilst you were um, training to be a dancer. So uh, I thought I've got best of both worlds. It seems that's a common theme throughout your life then, from your childhood to young um, as a young adult and now you know a, a, as, a, as an adult is that music and culture and the arts really okay. um, but you don't you don't play so much sitar anymore you got into other aspects of the arts do you explain a bit further so <laughs> I can I would definitely call myself a failed sitarist because um, I don't think I I am a natural musician uh, obviously, through a lot of hard work, I managed to learn how to play it, but I would not say, uh, put my heart, hand on my heart and say that I am a musician. But I, I'm a very good uh, manager and um, I uh, um, uh, transferred all my skills into arts management and I became a kind of a creative producer where um, I... Um, um, started engaging with this uh, in fact i kind of built this uh, arts organization called sabrang arts and um, through that i became its chairperson and now i have been um, uh, doing this um, uh, uh, arts and heritage projects under uh, the the sabrang arts uh, group and um, i've learned a lot over the years all sorts of dance uh, dramas dance productions, music productions, uh, working with different museums, doing all kinds of heritage projects as well. And um, uh, really uh, getting myself um, uh, to understand uh, what uh, arts brings to you. 
Can you explain a bit further about uh, the heritage projects? So I've done loads of... Um, uh, my first heritage project was uh, to do with sitar, as I said, I explained to you where we were um, looking at uh, uh, the heritage of um, Indian classical music and obviously working with different museums. Uh, my, my first two big projects were with the Honeyman Museum. And I learned a lot about um, uh, heritage and oral history and... Um, uh, how museums engage communities into their projects and um, this story of my journey from Africa to India in the Indian Ocean in the boat had always as I said it's been etched in my memory and I wanted to do a heritage project uh, looking at the journey of the Gujaratis and luckily I managed to secure um, some good funding from um, the Heritage Lottery Fund and I did this big project uh, called the Gujarati Yatra Journey of a People um, with the Museum of Croydon and that was a fascinating project because that made me connect with so many different people who have made this journey and not only just East Africa but South Africa as well and I did lots of oral history interviews with people and I understood their stories and each person had a different story to tell and that made, shaped the narrative of the whole exhibition. So I must have interviewed about 10 or 12 people. In fact, this is the first time that you're on the other end of the, an interview, exactly. being the interviewee. Yes. So yes. yeah, tell us more about the interviews that you have conducted. So as I said, you know, the, 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 the subjects we picked were all kinds of... Um, some were uh, complete uh, uh, lay people, some were professionals, some were um, uh, uh, academics as well. And um, he, listening to their stories about um, their journey to India, uh, to, to Africa from India, because it was uh, uh, about the, the project was about the journey of the Gujaratis. And it was fascinating to to understand how these Gujaratis uh, left um, the shores of uh, India to go to Africa. And that, that is where I started thinking about my identity that, OK, I'm living in Britain, but how did I end up in Britain? And this whole story, the migration story of the Gujaratis is such a fascinating story, you know, where I was speaking with this gentleman and he was telling me how he, at the age of 14, he escaped into a boat. He, 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 he decided that he didn't want to stay because he had a little fight with his uh, dad. So he just sat into a boat from Bombay and he went, uh, the boat took him to Madagascar. Can you believe it? All right to south of Africa. And then... Did he know that it was... No, at be... that time he didn't know. Yeah. When he when he reached Madagascar, he realized that, oh my God, I've come to this country <laughs> and nobody speaks even English because they speak French because it's a French colony. But the guy was such an uh, enterprising guy. He, <laughs> he was a tailor by profession. And he all he knew uh, to do was to stitch, to sew, sew clothes. So he got off there and um, he started making clothes for people and the, the natives in Madagascar realized that oh we've got a nice little tailor here let's um, uh, use him and he his expertise his this skill of tail um, stitching clothes 
became so popular that even the king of Madagascar called him to make his clothes for him you know and then he was telling me then after a little while he decided to go to Yemen on the Indian Ocean in the boat so from Madagascar he went to Yemen there again he set up his uh, uh, you know Gujaratis are entrepreneurs you know they, they start yeah. build up shops and whatever so he built his big empire in Yemen and then from Yemen he went back to India and then from India he came back to Britain and that whole story and how he's, he, he settled in Bolton and um, how he worked in the factories and how hard it was for him. And those kind of stories are fascinating to hear. But, about. I mean, your own story isn't too far off it, mm. really, right? Yeah, From I mean, country to country. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, when you were doing all these interviews and doing all the research for your exhibitions, how, were, how did it make you reflect on your own identity? Because you mentioned that that was something that you then you know reflected on what were your thoughts see the whole idea of the the project um uh it, it was a fascinating um the idea came from there was just a chance meeting i had with the um, the curator at uh uh, the Museum of Croydon and he said to me that do you know Lata that um, the East India Company used to have uh, its military school in Croydon and uh, I said I didn't know about that because East India Company was a big company who who, who came to Britain, to India and that's how uh, the British Raj uh, started and they set their first factory in Surat which is my hometown in, in, in India and one thing led to the other and I was fascinated that how did this trade relation between Britain and India um, start and he was just telling me about this East India company and how they went to India and then the, they used to exchange clo uh, clothes with each other, you know, clothes. And um, I wanted to find, dig deeper into this story and then obviously the, the project materialized and then we made it into an exhibition and then talking to different people, finding their perspective, uh, looking at um, what each person did in his lifetime. And uh, I, I learned a lot about my own identity as well, you know, my African roots, my, my inf the influence of, of Africa in my language, the way I speak. Gujarati with all Swahili words and then my my language is also even though I speak in Gujarati half of it is in English I speak so much so it's such a meshed up don't even know what kind mm. of language to call it so I've got Gujarati English Swahili in my language so I don't know um, what my identity but I think at heart I am an Indian but because I live in Britain, I am also very loyal to British uh, uh, identity. And I like being called as a British Indian. Yeah, there seems to be so many people, though, who have that story of Africa, India, the UK. And, uh, you know, these people, all people that are in our own like friendship group, family, friends. It almost seems like there's a whole other identity. You don't now have to just be British or just be Indian. You can be... A British Asian or a East African Britain, for example, and that is why I am I I I, li I like that background because I understand a lot even at work the cultural differences. If you have some 
um, Afro-Caribbean colleagues working with you, then I understand their background and why they behave the way they do or their work ethics or whatever. And when I'm working with some British people, I understand that, that they have a different way of working. They, they approach things differently, sometimes um, nicely, sometimes not too, too well. And um, I also like the the whole setup of the Indian family and the, the how... Um, um, young people look after their parents and all of that so you know i have absorbed so many good things and i like to pick best of all the worlds into my life which has shaped me so this leads on nicely to my next question which was if you had to describe yourself in three words you can take your time because this is, this is a hard question if you had to describe yourself in three words what three words would they be i'm very passionate about everything i do whether it's my career or whether it's my family or my, my hobbies or my interests, I become extremely passionate. I'm also very hardworking. And I would say I am also sometimes too honest for my own good. So, <laughs> What do you mean by that? Well, I'm, 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 I'm outspoken. I don't beat about the bush. If I have to tell a spade a spade, I would say, uh, frankly. Say it's a spade, yeah. Okay. And... If we think about the future now, so how, how old are you, if you don't mind saying? So I am 60 years old now. I still feel I'm very energetic and I don't intend to retire at the moment unless uh, God has um, some other plans for me. But uh, I like working and I uh, have also uh, another life with my cultural, my arts activities as well. So even if I retire from work, from my professional life, I will always continue to do all my cultural, artistic pursuits, um, hobbies and that kind of thing. So, And talking about that, you actually have something really exciting in the pipeline, which I know with COVID um, has kind of been put on a, on a standstill. But do you, do you want to explain more about that? So um, after the, the first project, the, the, the Gujarati Yatra Journey of a People uh, exhibition, um, I looked, I started digging deeper into this story and uh, I realized that uh, um, obviously my first project looked mainly, focused mainly on the Indian Ocean stories of the journey between India and Africa and uh, then a lot of Gujaratis came to Britain and I wanted to explore that story. So it turned out that um, Brandt was awarded the Bar of Culture uh, in 2020. Um, and uh, as part of that Brandt's uh, Bar of Culture celebration, Brandt is also the first home of Gujaratis because it's got the most number of uh, Gujaratis in the borough. And I wanted to look at their influences, how the Gujaratis have influenced uh, Brent and um, uh, also Britain. So I'm looking at uh, that story. It's mainly from for the Gujaratis who come from Africa and also from India as well, because in Brent you have two types of people. Some, a lot of them came during the exodus from Africa. And then there is a whole professional set, uh, network of um, Gujaratis, uh, computer scientists and those kind of people who have come straight from India. And they have influenced. Now, if you walk into Brandt, you walk in any street in the Brandt, 
sometimes you'd feel that you are in India because it's like a mini Gujarat. You know, you walk on Ealing Road and it's a mini Gujarat. So I wanted to see how this community has influenced uh, Britain because um, people identify and Gujaratis have become very successful in this country. When you look at it, they came as refugees um, in the 70s and now they are kind of big. You have Pretty Patel and you've got Rishi Sonak and you know all sorts of people in very high places so the Gujaratis have not only politically they have become um, lords and mayors and whatever but also culturally as well they even though they have lived in Britain they are living in Britain they have still kept their roots intact when you think of it you know you you go to any temple in in Britain in Brent or in Britain as well, um, Diwali celebrated so well, uh, Navratri celebrated. You guys, you are the third generation in this country, but you know about these things only because of the Gujaratis and their contribution to this country. That is why you know so much about Diwali and Navratri and all your cultural things which you are aware of. And what, what do you think, what is it about Gujaratis that have, why do you think they have that in them, that sense of, identity what there is a very good saying in gujarati uh, which is uh, um, uh, uh, said by this uh, very famous parsi poet and he said jaja was say ek gujarati sada kal gujarat the meaning of it is that wherever a gujarati goes whether he goes to madagascar or he goes to turkey you always find a gujarati shop there <laughs> you know they they would set up a shop and they would just uh, merge into that community and they are uh, 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 kind of uh, not uh, very um uh, what's the word i'm looking for they they they, they are very um friendly sort of uh, community who mixes with the uh, with the host country and this this is why they have become so successful because they do not interfere in any political aspects of uh, anything they go along with whatever uh, the host country has to mm. so they they come and set up shop quite yeah. literally <laughs> set yeah. up shop every corner shop you'd see get run by Gujaratis most probably be owned by a Gujarati and so this is exciting so w- w- with with Covid uh, w- w- what's the plan with the museum yeah so of course uh, 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 we can see some light at the end of the tunnel I mean it, even though uh, uh, there was Covid but during this Covid period we did lots of uh, oral history interviews we have started doing a lot of uh, online work our research has uh, kept us going and hopefully uh, now uh, our launch date is in March 2021 and then we have also connected with the the project is with Brent Museum and Archives but we have also engaged with um, the British Museum now funnily enough the the head curator of the South Asia uh, um, department in British Museum is a Gujarati lady, Sushma Jansari. So it, it worked out so well. And she, so when you said it, Gujarati is going to high places, that every, she was in every classic, field. She was a classic example. And obviously she connected. So she we are loaning a lot of objects from the British Museum. And uh, it's it's a kind of a cultural exchange between the two museums. So we have identified some objects from the British Museum, which will be showcased in the exhibition at the Brent Museum. And we have interviewed a variety of people, dancers, musicians, academics, uh, shopkeepers, politicians, uh, priests, um, uh, um, uh, 
professionals as well and uh, their story their oral history their stories will weave the whole story of the exhibition and this is how we want to show how the gujaratis have influence and the title of my exhibition is called roots and changes gujarati influences so what our roots were and what kind of um, changes have uh, come about in this country and this is what the exhibition is all about if uh, anyone is listening and thinks that's quite exciting and wants to know more where can they look so we're going to set up a a, a huge social media campaign shortly and um, uh, they can um, uh, look at our website as well which we haven't yet we're just in the process of setting it up it would be roots and changes um dot com most probably brent museum and archives is the the main um, uh, focal point where uh, you'll get all the information about the and this exhibition is going to be for six months from march till august and during the six months there's going to be a season of events so we will be doing at the moment we've got plans for all sorts of um, cultural activities music dance arts crafts uh, working with libraries we're going to work with uh, six seven libraries in the borough of brand and children's activities adults activities talks film screening um uh, literary events as well and uh, a whole season of six months of activities related to gujarat so it's quite a jam-packed 2021 then um, absolutely keeping uh, our fingers crossed that uh, the covid uh, crisis uh, allows us to do what we plan otherwise most of it will go virtual great and sort of just to wrap this up now uh, you've talked about a lot of successes in your life so within your profession your personal life your hobbies and now your museum curation uh, and exhibitions that you do uh, now at the age of 60 where do you how how do you picture your life in retirement I think I will continue with all my arts uh, pursuits, definitely. My arts, uh, I, I love uh, reading. I love all kinds of arts. So that is one thing I would definitely continue. And I might pick up my sitar again and uh, try and uh, um, <laughs> dabble into um, sitar again if, if um, I am really bored. Good. Um, and just to sort of end this interview, I'm going to do, I haven't pre-warned you about this, um, but purposely, because I want you to sort of think just on the spot. We're going to do a quick fire round, right? So I'm going to ask you a question um, and then you just give me what the first thing that comes into your head. Okay. So what is your favourite book? Uh, Gone with the Wind. And why? Sorry. I know that was quick, it was meant to be a quick fire, but, but tell us why. I think I, I like the the story of um, uh, it was a, a a lovely story. I think I watched a film first, and I really enjoyed that film, and that's why I I I like that book. Great. Um, and you're into music. So, what is your who or who is your favorite artist? I would say uh, my favorite uh, artist is Pandit Ravi Shankar. Great. Favorite food. You put me on this one. I like everything. <laughs> everything I like um, Indian food. Okay, so if we're talking about if we're talking about Indian food, if you're going to go to an Indian restaurant, what what would you definitely order? I think samosas. Samosas, great. And yeah, that's about it. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about your life, your views, anything? No, I think I just my only regret in my life is that I never learnt. Uh, 
I never um, became serious with my music and I wish I conti had continued with my sitar music. Um, now, coming into my retirement, I think I might uh, start picking it up and uh, do, because I do a lot of yoga as well. So that uh, has uh, kind of opened up another uh, new thing for me and um, uh, who knows. Well, I mean, you picked up uh, the, the the scientific field what in your 20s you then picked up music in your 40s museum creation in your 60s so it seems like sky's the limit <laughs> so let, let watch the space let's see what happens yes definitely right. thank you very much thank you